Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Phil and I used to go to a church, a big Assembly of God church in Connecticut. And in the Assembly of God church, when they, when they, preach, when they teach the, the, little children, the, the little ones, it's pretty much the same every year, right? So when they're teaching the second graders, the eight-year-olds, they have the same regime. And so they come up to the Easter season, and the teacher said to the class, she said, we're going to be talking about the Easter season, right? When, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, and then he was scourged, and he was crucified, and he died. And one little girl in the back of the class said, why do they do that to him every year? <laughs> True story. I thought it was very funny. So um, we're going to have communion at the end because it's been on my heart to get a little bit serious now, to get a lot of bit serious, um, because it's something that I think um, the Lord's Supper, maybe if you grew up in a mainline, in the Catholic Church or a mainline Protestant Church, you call it communion, you call it the Lord's Table, um, all really basically the same. And some of those uh, major uh, institutions lifted up this to sort of a sacramental issue, right? And because why? There was something about uh, the Lord's Supper, baptism, that really showed an, an outward act to an inward reality. And it showed that you were in a different place. And I think over the years, the church, if you go out to most churches around, uh, anywhere in this country mostly, what do they do? Communion, the first and third Thursdays, or first and third Sundays, I mean? They don't really take a lot about communion. And they don't really talk about it enough, and they don't take it enough. I- I'm listening to some old-time preachers. Uh, we know many of them took it every day with their wives. I mean, communion was a big deal to the saints before us. And I know that we've captured this back here. And I just, it was in my heart to sort of, um, just give a little bit of a background more about the, 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 the better understanding. I, it, how do we relate? What I want to understand is how do we relate to the Lord? And think of it as a cross, right? How do we relate to the Lord in the vertically? And how do we relate to the Lord horizontally? <laughs> Sorry. So uh, I'm going to start with a verse uh, from John 7 that's not up there. And when you hear this verse, you'll know that I'm also closing. But in John 7, remember he cured somebody on the Sabbath. And, and, and all the Matthews said, what are you doing? And Jesus said to them, he said, don't judge according to appearances. Judge with a righteous judgment. And in the Living Testament, it said, look beneath the surface and judge correctly. And that's why I want to dig a little deeper into communion this week so we can understand why we're doing what we're doing. Right? Why we're eating crackers and, and, and grape juice? And because there's so much there more, right? It's like the Bible saints. The more you read, the more there is there too. As it comes to you, as you start reading it more. And I think as we get into it, uh, we'll see that there's a lot more to the Bible, I mean, to communion than we think. So let's do a little history lesson. The Lord's Supper actually started with Passover, right? When Jesus had the Passover meal, he was instituting the Lord's Supper, even though the disciples didn't realize it at that point. But in Passover, what happened? The Jews were in Egypt for 400 years. They were slaves, and God had done nine, um, nine plagues on the Egyptians. And he said, you know what? I really had it with the Egyptians, even though he had hardened the Pharaoh's heart a few times. He said, I am going to do something tonight that you will remember forever. Matter of fact, the world will remember forever. I'm going to send an angel of death and I'm going to go through the land. I'm going to take out the firstborn of every family, not only humans, but livestock too. So think about 
you want to talk, we're going to talk about angels in a second. We were talking about how powerful the angels are. Imagine if whoever the president said, I want you to go into this country and take out the firstborn of every family and every living creature. Who are you going to get the database for that? How are you going to do that overnight? And how are you going to do it so stealthily like the angel of death did it? I'm just, I'm just trying to point you to the, to the point that, you know, the angels are powerful beings. And, and I'm going to bring them up later in a little bit. But what happened is that night at Passover, he said, listen, get a spotless lamb. You're going to have to sacrifice it. You're going to put the blood over the posts. And you're going to eat its flesh. You're going to drink some wine. And the blood's going to protect you. And you're going to continue this on a permanent basis. Now, let me just say something about the blood on the posts. That night, when the angel of death went through Israel, it didn't matter if you were Jewish or not. You weren't saved if you were Jewish. You were only, you were only spared the angel of death if you put that blood on your posts. And so this should be a message to us today as the Christian world. We can come in and out of this church all we want. But if we're not under the blood, and if we're not following him, Coming through those doors isn't going to save us. Coming through those doors isn't going to make us a better Christian. Oh, I go to church every Sunday. You should go to church every Sunday. You should be with fellowship and you should be with the community. But it's not where Christianity is at, right? Christianity is at Sunday and the rest of the week as we go together. Amen? So when Jesus started taking this Passover meal and he made it into his new meal, you know, the disciples, they didn't, they just, oh, this I'm not sure if it was the third or fourth Passover meal. I know he was three and a half years that he did this. I tried to do research on that. It might have been the fourth Passover meal that he had done with the disciples. And they had no idea what he, that he was taking this old thing and making it new, right? It must have taken them months later, right? Even weeks later, weeks, months, maybe some of them a year to say, ah, I get it now. I get it. We had the Passover meal. We, the old Passover meal had a, a sacrificial spotless lamb. Oh, so did the new Passover meal, right? The old one, we sacrificed him, and the blood covered us to protect us. We ate his flesh, like Jesus said, you need to eat my flesh. And, and in the Passover meal, God said, put it in place for remembrance. And Jesus said the same thing, remembrance of me. So what happened is, the Lord's Supper was concealed in the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was revealed in the Lord's Supper. Right? Now let's put this on a bigger plane. The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. That's why Jesus said in Luke 24, after he talked to the, the uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he went back, it says in Luke 24, he went back to them and said, here I am. It was the night, after, uh, probably Sunday night on his resurrection day. And he got up and he said, I now have to explain to you like I did the other two what he said, what the, the, the book of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets, that's, all the, that's the Old Testament. He said, what the scriptures say about me. So he had to explain to them he was in there the whole time. Now, I know you know this, but it's good to review this as we go into the Lord's Supper and we go into the, into the meal, that all this was revealing about him. Why a supper? And one thing I want to get across to you, saints, is... Um, when you look at the Lord's Supper, and when you look at, say, the act of baptism, these sort of sacramental things that we do, it all points to the cross. It all goes back to the cross, saints. Buried with him in baptism, raised to the new life, right? 
eating his flesh and blood, remembering him and doing the things that he said before him. It's, it's, his, it's his body and blood that is separated. And when the body and blood is separated, somebody's died. Some, something's died. Jesus, God, man, died for us that day, for us. And that was part of communion. And it all goes back to the supper. Now, why, why a supper? That, that's why I have the reflection of the cross in there. I thought it was pretty, I, I loved it. I was looking for it, and I came upon that, and I thought, when we come to the table, saints, and I'm going to get into it a bit more um, after I explain a little bit about why it's a supper, um, why the reflections of the cross are in there for us. Because if we live a crossless Christianity, we're not living Christianity. As Jen said before, we're going to suffer. He's going to scourge his sons and daughters. He needs to bring us into the kingdom his way, in his ordained way. And if you're living a life, it's so easy to live a life here in the West, right? I mean, we're talking about Israel. 300 rockets fired over Israel. And they're just, I, listen, there's people in my company there today selling bonds in Tel Aviv. No problem. They're walking around. They have decided that they're going to live their life no matter what the other side does, right? And we have to do the same thing. We have to do the same thing as we come to the table. So why a supper? Well, it's not breakfast and it's not lunch. So this family's together. We're together, right? Breakfast, okay, maybe the family's together, but your mind isn't family, right? It's, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to go to school, I have to do this. And so maybe the family's together for a minute, but you're not really. When it comes to lunch, you're really separated. You're out there, right? In the old days, the father was out in the field, or today, mom's here, dad's there, the kids are there. But a family is a family meal. And I have to say up front, um, if you're not sure if you're a family... If you're not sure if you're covered by the blood of Jesus, then I ask you to do one thing. Don't partake of the meal, because this is a family meal. And if you're not sure if you're part of the family of God, then you could come up afterwards, speak to the pastors, and say, listen, I'm really not sure about what, where I stand with God, or to the prayer team on the side. But this is, Ezra says in the Old Testament, they were, they were building, he was redoing the temple, and the uh, non-Jews, probably some Italians, came up to him and said, listen, um, we're going to build together with you. You sacrifice to your God on Tuesday, we'll sacrifice to our God on Thursday, we'll, we'll have a good time. And Ezra said, you'll have nothing to do with this. We ourselves together is the Hebrew. We ourselves together are going to do this. And that's what this meal is, saints. It's we ourselves together. It's a family. It's us doing it together. Now, we're, we're, we're together with the family out there, but it's a family meal. I have to tell you something. The more I read, the more history I read about the church. Um, the early church, you know, you didn't get into the services. If you just come to it and said, hey, I just accepted Christ into my life. They didn't say, come on in right away. They tested you. First of all, they didn't know if you were a spy for the Roman government. And they had to see your fruits. And then once they let you in for a while, it looks like they didn't let you take communion for a while. You really had to be family. And I know I got it up in some church in Connecticut, I caught up in, oh, let's open up the communion to everybody. Everybody should, that's fine. You want to do that. But I don't see that in the scriptures. The scriptures, it's us together. We ourselves together. <coughs> it's also a day of rest. Let me just grab my bottle. No, it's the one that fell down. Um, it's, you know, the rest is, on Sunday, it says in the New Testament that they took the, uh, they did the, the communion, the Lord's Supper, on the first day of the week. But it says in Hebrews about, Paul says about entering into his rest. When you have supper, the day's over. And it's, you know, it's interesting, the New Testament talks about if you want to live, you need to die. If you want to get rich, you need to be poor. 
if you want to work hard, you need to rest. You need to rest in the sovereign work of the Lord. It's so difficult. It's impossible on the flesh. We have to get to the point where we understand where the rest is. And, you know, this table that's set out here, um, it's, it's not an invite from City on the Hill Community Church. It's, it's, it's really, it's, um, it's an invite from him. And so we'll be up here, the pastor's here. It's not us saying, oh, come, this is our special little family. Now we're together with the family of the world. All the, but this is his invite, and it's for his family. And it's for you to come and partake of his body and blood. And there's been a death, right? As I said before, if the, bread, if, the, if the flesh is over here and the blood is over there, I don't know about you, but if I've ever seen anybody where they're separated from their blood and their flesh, they're dead, right? But we had a God-man. We had God-man come down, separate his blood from his flesh so we could live the real life, right? The God-man, Jesus came down and said a couple of things. Um, he said a lot of things. But he says, in, he says in John a couple of times, right? He says, John, I am the bread of life, he who eats will never hunger. And then he says to the woman at the well, if you drink the water that I'm giving you, you will never thirst. Do yourself a favor. Do a word search on the word never, especially in the Gospel of John. He says a lot of nevers. And um, you'll never die, right? There's a couple of nevers that he does. But you know what? I, Jesus wasn't one who, you know, talked in, in words that he stretched the truth, when he said never, he meant never. And so if we're not, if we're partaking of communion and we're still hungering and thirsting, well then I somehow I think we need to check our lives and how we do it, how we're coming to the table. T.D. Jakes put a, uh, a YouTube that's been going around and he has a great new book out called The Crushing. And some of you have seen it. It's go look T.D. Jakes' Crushing. He's a couple of interviews. Excellent. It's about really the cross and the table, the crushing you go through. Why? Because those grapes, or that, that wine that should be there, or the grape juice, was seeds that grew up, matured to what they were supposed to be, and then they were crushed for you and me. And the same with the bread. It was seeds put into the ground, grew up to what it was supposed to be, and then crushed for you and me. And so when you come to the table, we realize, wait a minute, this is God, and he crushed himself for you and me. Isn't it amazing? I just wanted to, I get behind, but it's a family meal, right? It's, this, is a, this is a Norman Rockwell um, painting from years ago. Obviously, um, it shows an old, different kind of America. But I, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure if Pastor James was going to be here or not. So I decided to update this family meal as a shout-out to Pastor James. And there it is. <laughs> Pastor James, we need to show this to him. I, I was going to have my son Danny try to paint in uh, Pastor James in there somewhere with all his best friends. But um, it, I don't know. It kind of didn't go for me. But I thought, listen, that's a family, right? It's a Disney family. It's not, maybe not the same family we grew up with. Okay. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. We didn't know. <laughs> okay. We're talking about the cross again in terms of the, uh, in terms of the table. So... I want to talk about different things, two different, three different, well, five different things, but first of all, I want to talk about the vertical relationship between us and the Lord when we take the table, and then the horizontal relationship. And I, I, believe me, it's not going to be that long. But I think if you go back to the table and you say, what, why are we taking the table? Well, it's to remember him. Well, that, I think that's absolutely right. 
But there's, there's, there's some vertical aspects and there's some horizontal aspects that we need to go. So look at the, we did, the, we're going to go through the red and the blue and the green in that order to go through what the table means for us. Okay, this is, this is really where it all starts. When we look, let's just read what it says. So for I passed you what I received from the Lord by himself. By the way, um, many Bible scholars believed, you know, I take the word of God for what it says. And Paul says, for I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself. Many people believe the Lord actually taught Paul many things directly when he was on the backside of the desert for those 10 years after he got saved. I mean, there was some direct revelations going on here, all right? And here's another thing. God, you know it says in Romans where God uses the bad, he turns it into good, right? Well, think about it. The city of Corinth and the Corinthian Christians, this, they're Supper was a mess, right? So Paul had to go instruct them to how to do the table, right? Without that mess, there's no instructions. So if we didn't have these instructions, we'd have 2,000 years of people doing the table 16 different ways, right? So out of the bed in Corinth, God used it for good for, the next, for all the other Christians that were coming for the next 2,000 years, right? Just remember, something bad happens, something's good going to happen. Right after that. Just, that's the way God works. So, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On that night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, which is the most, most important, which is probably the most popular one that we do. What, why does the Lord want us to do that? And how, why does he want us to remember him? You know, do we, we have any teachers in here? We have, we have a couple of teachers, right? A couple of teachers, right? Uh, that's a joke, saints, because if you're new here, there's a lot of teachers in here. So be careful. Be, say always good things about teachers. I love my teachers in high school. I love them all. No, they do a great service because if you gave me a eight-year-olds or 12-year-olds, I don't think I'd make it through the day, right? I mean, thank you, teachers, for everything that you do. Megan, every time I get stopped in front of a light, that stupid light on 25A by your school, I don't yell anymore, I pray for you and the rest of the teachers in this school, because it's better to curse, right? It's better to pray than curse the darkness. So Jesus is the ultimate teacher, right? And, and you teachers know this better than I do, but here's the statistics. If you just hear something, they say you'll, you'll keep about 20% of it. That, that might be a little less today these days. But if you hear and see something, they say it doubles to 40%. If you see, hear, and partake of it, it doubles again to 80%. Right? So Jesus said, how am I going to get these silly people who are always forgetful to remember? I need to do maximum impact on the first day of the week to help them carry through the week. And I'm telling you, saints, if some of you have a tough week, many of us have tough weeks, if we could carry communion with us through the week and what it means we'd have a more victorious, our weak wouldn't be so weak, right? If we knew the truth about communion, we are very forgetful people. And honestly, there's like 7.5 billion people in the world. Let's say there's 500 million Christians. I, I don't know, it's not even 10%. What is it to God that one of us forgets him? Does it matter to him? It matters to him. That's why he did this. He did this for us. Think about it. So, He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He came down. He sacrificed for ourselves. And then he said, okay, I did all these things for you. Could, would you just do me one more little favor? 
Could you kind of remember what I did? Oh, and by the way, I'm putting all this in place so you can do that. So there must be some importance to it, isn't there? We need to remember what he did throughout the week. And this is what starts the week for us. When we come to the communion table and we say, we're eating his flesh and drinking his blood because he sacrificed his body for us. God once again humbles himself to us. His love insists that we remember him. Saints, you are part of the family of God, and he's not going to, he will never, is that word, he will never let you go. Read John 10. You're never going to let go of him. Amen? Okay. So, we just did the past, right? We remember him. So let's read the second paragraph. In the same way, he took the cup of wine and supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this remember this is me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So, red, past tense. We're remembering him. Green? That's green, right, Joe? Is that green? No. It might be blue. You are, an, I know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. You're announcing the Lord's death. We proclaim his death, saints. Who we proclaim it to? We proclaim it to, first of all, we ourselves together. We proclaim it to each other. The Lord has risen. Yes, indeed, he is risen. We're also proclaiming it to the people outside that door, right? They're in the world, right? We're in, we're in the world, but not of the world. Right now, they're of the world. And we say to them, listen, we, we love you guys, but you're in the world. And the world crucified our Savior. And we're praying for you to get out. But we're proclaiming to the world, we really have nothing to do with you. We have nothing to do with the world. Right? And we're saying to the world, you're out there, we will pray for you, but we're in the kingdom of light. We're proclaiming to ourselves, and we're proclaiming here and now today in the present to the world, we really have nothing to do with you because tomorrow I go home to see the Lord, whatever that tomorrow is. And I think more importantly is we're proclaiming to the angels around us, the good and bad angels around us, we will not go with the third of your angels who, who revolted, right? What was the first sin? It wasn't in the Garden of Eden. The first sin was by Satan. In heaven, the perfect place, and he revolted. Put that in your theological cap and think about that for a while, right? That was the first sin. And so what had to happen? What are we proclaiming? What exactly are we proclaiming? So I'm going to go back to a couple of slides that I just did, and I'll, I'll get to explain that in a bit. But if you read the book of Job, which was the first book written, right? They say it was probably written about 3,000 years before Jesus came. Um, in the first, in the first um, chapter, what's happening? Jesus is, I mean, the Lord or Jesus, the Father, is, the angels are coming in. They're kind of uh, giving reports to him. And who's there? Satan. So, isn't it weird, like, is he an angel of light, or was it so common that the other angels, it doesn't say, that the other angels just put him apart. And so, I just want to paraphrase what I think kind of went down one of those times they met. Satan said, listen, God, I, I get it. I get it that I'm going to go to the lake of fire, right? I, I know you're going to win in the end, but I'm going to try my best not to let you win. But, all those little humans you created... All those, those fleshy little things you created, I don't know why you did it. But I got them to revolt against you too. They sinned against you. So if I'm going to the lake of fire, I'm taking all of them with me. 
And if you read the book of Revelations, that's what's happening at the end. The enemy's trying to take the whole, he wants the whole world to worship him. He wants the whole, he's going to say, he's not the king, I'm the king. If you read the book of Revelations, it's the war at the end of the time for our souls. And, and, and you, know what you, you know what God said to, to Satan? Not a thing for 3,000 years. He answered him with Jesus. He answered him with Jesus on the cross. It's been said, and you've heard me say this the last time, the cross is such a magnificently simple solution to a very complex problem that Satan created, that God let Satan create. What did Jesus do on the cross? He did what, it's easy to remember, SOS. He took care of Satan. He rendered him powerless. He took care of ourselves, right? In Galatians, we are crucified with Christ. Paul says, put on the new, take, put off the old, right? And he took care of our sins. He took away our sins. In the Old Testament, when they, when they did the, pass, when they did the uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, your sins were just covered over. They poured blood over the top of the mercy seat. And it was just covered over for you. Jesus took away our sins, right? Remember I said from the east is from the west, right? Walk east, you'll never get to west. Walk north, you're eventually going to get south. Your sins are gone forever, saints. And he did it for ourselves. He took, and then ourselves, you can also say not just sins, but sin singular, the sin factory that we are. He took care of it. And he defeated Satan and he rendered him powerless. That's what he did on the cross for us, right? He administered to Satan, as my friend Derek Prince says, a total permanent, irrevocable defeat. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it is finished, right? It's one word. It's to tell us to tell a story. It means basically permanently permanent and completely complete. Like, and an ongoing permanent. Like, it's total and irrevocable. That's why I use those words. You see, when, when Jesus died and he said, it is finished. I did my part. Now the Father has to resurrect me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the grave. It's the Father's turn to resurrect me. I did what I came here to do. And this is what he came here to do, saying, to separate his flesh from his blood as making a payment for us. And if we can carry that with us through the week, we can, we can change our lives a bit. So I, this was the last two. Also, and, and talking about ourselves, it was the great exchange. This is my new John 3.16. Uh, and I think you should try to memorize it because it's this one verse that's the gospel. It's the gospel. Forget about the red for now. Let's just read the verse. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he made him the spotless lamb of God who knew no sin. Satan killed an innocent man to be sin for us. The old man that we, the new man, might become the righteousness of God in him. What a wonderful verse, saints, that we need to put in our hearts, right? I think, I think if, if, uh, if, where's Pastor, I got to talk about Pastor James again. If had, the Jets ever get to the Super Bowl, which you said they never will, I'm not going to hold up John 3, 16. I'm going to hold up 2 core, 5 colon 21. And people around the world are going to go, I know John 3, 16. What's this crazy guy doing with 2 core or 5, 21, huh? That's what we should be telling the, the, rest, of the, the rest of the country about what we're doing, huh? And then, you know, what's really most important, too, it, all three are important, but let's just go. So I went back to where we were. And now it says you're announcing the Lord's death. So we remember him in the past. We proclaim him today. And we anticipate his return, past, present, and future. He's got it all covered. But we always remember, talk about remembering him. But we're proclaiming, and we're waiting, for his, we're waiting for his soon return, right? In the past, he died for me. In the future, he's coming back for me. 
Again, it reminds us that the world's really not our place. He's coming back for us. We're, you know, since we're, we're honestly, everything that's solid here is not, temp is not permanent. The te this is all temporary, right? Um, when I was out in San Diego, I, I was thinking to do it, but it would take too long. Somebody had a rope, and they, and they took the end of the rope, a very long rope that went out the door, and they put about that part of it that was black, and the rest of it was the natural. And he said, that's your life here on earth. And the rest of the rope was your life here in heaven. That's all we have is some years down here. And then we get to heaven and we're going to get rewards or no rewards according to the life that we live down here. Right? There's going to be a judgment. You're in the book of life. Come right on in. Okay, now comes the second judgment. What have you done for me? Well, I, I, you know, I went to school. I have a couple of houses. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What did you do for the kingdom? You know, that, that's sort of coming home for me as I, as I get a bit older. You know, Sir Robert Anderson, you probably never heard of this gentleman. He was either number one or number two in Scotland Yard, but he was head of the commission that looked into, in the 1890s, that looked into who was Jack the Ripper. I only say that as background because he wrote a wonderful book that had a lot of saints reading it in the first half of the last century, certainly before World War I. It was called The Coming Prince. And in it was a phrase that I'd like you to just try to remember during the week. His phrase was, no past but the cross, no future but his coming. Right? Um, Martin Luther said it. Corey Tenboom uh, made it popular. And he said, when Satan comes knocking at my door, I have Jesus answer it. Because there's no past but the cross. Satan will come to you during the week and say, ah, you're just a no good. Yeah, I am a no good, dirty, rotten sinner. But I have no past but the cross, Satan. If we could push that away from us, and some of us live in the past, and some of us live fearfully about the future. You're either one or the other. And if you live in the past, you can say, there's no past but the cross, Satan. Because it's all been taken care of by our Lord. And there's no future but his coming. If we had the attitude during this week, the big things wouldn't look so big, would they? They'd become smaller and really not as big. Um, A.W. Tozer said it very well. He said, if you, um, if you could carry this with you during the week, it solves a great deal of anxiety. And all this anxiety that we have in life, you know, my health, my, my finances, my relationships... And if, if, you could, if, if this phrase could come to us, that we say, no past but the cross, no future but his coming, it takes, a lot, it takes the future worries away and the past anxieties away. Right? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, excuse me one second, at, in, the end of the, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Right? Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Let's just get through today. And he is coming back, saints. He's coming back very quickly. The last, uh, what are the last words in the Bible, <coughs> uh, quoting from Jesus? It's not in the Gospels. It's the last paragraph of the last book of Revelation. What did Jesus say to John? He said, write this down. Surely I am coming quickly. Right? And then John fin finalizes it by saying, even so, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. So, again, when we come to the table... We remember what he did, we proclaim to everyone around us, and we anticipate his coming back. You killed my Savior, ah, but not forever, <laughs> because he, he's alive now and he's coming back for us. And would you, would you please try to come into the kingdom with me? That's our job, right? Jesus left us with a few things, baptism, the uh, table, and also 
He didn't say go out and, he said went out and make disciples of everyone, baptizing them. And, and, and I'll say it again because I'm just trying to work through it. You look through the New Testament and see who was saved. It doesn't say anybody was saved until they were baptized. Now, I'm not saying water baptism is it, but I'm just saying let's read the word for what the word says and stop bringing on our own uh, theology and interpreting the Bible that way. You look at the New Testament, look at Acts. They weren't saved until they were baptized. You find me one example, and I, I'd, be, I'd be happy to see it because it kind of messes up my theology. Okay. So now we're talking about the horizontal beam, and this is where I'm, it, it won't be long. I, I, I have two pages, and I, you know I write big, so it's not a lot to go. Saints, how do we relate to each other? Now we saw the vertical part, right? How do we relate to the Lord? Now we've got to relate to each other. You know, when we talk about the word communion, it's, it's the Greek word koinonia. It means, it actually is trans, trans, uh, transcribed a few times fellowship, fellowshipping. It's like intimate participation. And that's what we're doing. We are sharing together today with more believers than ever before. Put it this way. Uh, you know I'm a math guy. So seven and a half billion people in the world, say 500 million, again, Christians. There's more people taking communion today than ever in the history of the world. Think about it. And there'll be more next week. No, no, they take it every other week. You know, but you know what I mean. Statistically, there's more Christians taking communion now. And you're partaking with them around the world. Even the Christians in Israel who are getting rockets thrown on the head. Even the Christians in the Muslim world who are getting their heads chopped off. Right? They're the ones who have the tough. Right? We're the ones who have it easy. Who, who has it better in the long run, saints? You tell me. This gathering we do, we also are, are partaking with the other Christians, whether they see us or not, no one's really sure, throughout the history, the 2,000 years, all the Christians together, right? We have this sort of time thing that God's invented, that at the end of, at the end of time, there's something else is going to start. It's, Paul talks about the ages to come, the ages to come. I don't know what that means, but that's a great thing. And it says that when we do this, so it, it, it dispels the vision, saints, when we get together, and we take communion, right? We, we, does, this, does this country need more unity? Do we, do we, come on, let's be serious now. And part of it's the church's fault because we're not unified. We don't, I'm not saying us. I'm saying those people out there. Right? I'm talking about them, right? I'm saying we need to be unified before we want them to be unified as a church. Isn't that right? Um, you know, right after John F. Kennedy was assassinated, a song came out by Jackie DeShannon called um, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love, right? There's something that's just too little of, right? Well, what the world needs now is not only God's love. He need, we need the unity of God. And it starts with the church, and it starts with the table, saints. When we come to the table, we need to partake of it, and we need to partake of his table where it says the communion is not the communion of the body of Christ. We're talking about the communion of the saints, the communion of taking the blood and the fellowship. And we need to partake of his flesh and his blood, right? He said again, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You'll never thirst and hunger again. Never. We need to take him up on that word. You know, there's a saying that the, the word of God doesn't come alive to people until they need it to come alive. And that's why it's so difficult for us in this, in this society, in the Western Hemisphere. You know, God's word is exploding in Southeast Asia. God's words, the Christians are exploding in Africa and South America. And in Venezuela, you're getting reports of the church growing. But here, we have everything. If the book of Revelation is correct, 
And at the end of the time, the, the Lord's church is Laodicea. We're blind, naked, poor, and miserable, and we don't even know it. I'm not saying us. I'm saying there's a remnant here that say, I see that as a church, and I need to get past that. And that's what we're trying to do here with communion, saints. We're trying to say, Jesus, you did all this work for us. And one other thing, I've spoken to the people sort of outside the family. You're kind of related, but you're not really in the family yet. Now just to say, and I didn't want to get into this so deeply, but I wanted to say one more thing about partaking. Paul says about partaking of the table in an unworthy manner, and um, I didn't want to step into this too much, but he said you're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So examine yourself before you eat and drink judgment on yourself. That's why some of you are sick and some of you sleep. Died. So, I'm not saying if you're sick, you've got some hidden sin. But what I'm saying is, if you got to the point where you say, you know what, there's some sin in my life that's become too big and too hard for me to handle, and I need to go to the, I need to go to the leadership and have it dealt with before I partake with the Lord again. But I, I don't think that's, that's that very common. But if you get to that point, then I think it's better to go through going up to the, to the leadership after church than going through the facade of, go, facade of going years and years and living in sin and partaking of it. Because if you hear what Paul says, you may have some sicknesses and some people have died. Uh, just taking God's word as it is. And finally, as I'm, I'm getting close to ending, it says, Paul says, right, um, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of the Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Paul's like, is it not, right? It's, it's what he said about at the, at the beginning, in John 7. Look beneath the surface. Paul's saying, can't you look? Is it not? Can't you see below the surface? It's not just crackers. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just grape juice. In, in a spiritual way, now, in a spiritual way, it's the body and blood of Christ, right? Now, there are some Christians basically the Catholics, but there are some very, I can name you some very famous Protestants of dead and alive who believe that is actually the flesh and blood. I don't see how that can be, because if you read the scriptures, Jesus said that night that he was going to be betrayed, he said, he was standing in front of them and said, this is my body and blood. Now, how could it be both at the same time? Now, maybe it can be, but I'm just saying, in the spiritual sense, saints, we're taking the Passover meal from, the, from uh, um, Exodus chapter 10, and we're partaking of his flesh. We're eating of his flesh, and we're drinking. Now, the world's going to hear that and go, oh, that's why, right? It's some of his disciples, when he said it, and he said, well, I can't take this anymore. This is not, I don't understand this at all. But saints, that's where life is. The life is right here in front of us. We partake of him. This is a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward reality. I have died with Christ. I have separated my body and blood. I have come to the cross and gone through the cross with you, Jesus. And if I haven't done it, and I'm in the process of doing it, I leave it to your good graces to get me through. Right? I'm, in the, I'm under the grace of God. So, I want you to take a look at your neighbor as we get close to ending here. And um, take a look. Side to side. Right to left. Look at one neighbor, look at the other. Yeah? Wasn't so hard, was it? Wasn't so bad. Saints, what do you see? No, no, don't tell me. No, 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 no. I'm trying to be serious. Do you see black? 
Do you see white? Do you see old or poor? Uh, young, old? Did I mix that up? Do you see a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief? Or saints, do you see a fellow member of God's family who God died for and who you, in 1 John says, you should lay down your life for that person too? It doesn't matter when we get to the judgment throne, saints, if we were George Washington or the Queen of England or just some guy named Ted Patron living on Long Island. We all go to the, to the God's throne and judgment seat together, right? We are equally guilty and, equ and, and equally pardoned. It doesn't matter if you're the queen. It doesn't matter if, you're, if you don't make in life what you think you should make in this world because the world to come is what really counts. Saints, if we could recover the meaning of the cross and the supper, we would dispel a lot of division. We would give out a lot of love. You know, the, I forget who wrote it, but it's in the second or third century. They said, see those Christians? Yeah, the music team can kind of come up, please. See, those, see how they love each other? And it all starts when we come to the table. And we, so if we can start on a Sunday and say, Lord, you have done this for me. And so I'm going to remember 20, 40, 80 percent. I'm going to remember through the week. You know what's interesting about our lives, saints? Um, we come to church on Sunday and we have a great Sunday. Boy, the spirit hit today, didn't it? It really hit. It just he, usually the Holy Spirit kind of knocks and says, "I'm coming in." He just came right through that door today. You know, I noticed when when Jenny came up here, it made twelve up on the. It made twelve, and the Spirit just really hit. When, whatever the worship team, whatever you guys were doing, keep doing it, brothers and sisters, because that was the, the the Spirit just really lifted this place up. It was very well done. But I want to get back to what I was saying about during the week. You have a great sermon on Sunday. James does his usual great job of preaching. And um, I have a slide you have to see later. Megan will tell you about. And you say, oh, Monday, ah, oh, Christ Christianity is still great. By Tuesday, eh. And by Thursday, you're like, am I still a Christian? Right? What I just did to that person, what I just said, is that your week? That's a signal, saints, that we're not, we're forgetful people. Right? And God wants, doesn't want us to forget him. Right? What I said before, he went through great sacrifices to say, hear, see, and partake of this so you could remember just for a week and then start the next week all over again. We need, as this may sound to the world outside those doors, we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood as much as possible. You know, we have some of those traveling cups that we have. I would recommend some of you couples and friends get together, if it's okay with the pastors, and take communion as much as you can. It's, it's nothing, I'm not saying that this is a magical act, but it's, it, the more you do it, the more you'll understand, the more Lord will say, you're, you're being obedient, and I will show you more of myself. And I think communion, again, the church has lost this great, this great sacrament, and we've kind of lost sight of it. We've kind of lost sight of the cross. Remember, when you come up here today, Jesus died. What's the gospel? Jesus, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's the gospel. And he died and rose again. And this is, this, we are proclaiming the full, complete act. When I say the cross, 
I mean, the whole redemptive process of what he did for us. And that's what we're coming up proclaiming. We're remembering him in the past. We're proclaiming it now in the present. And we're looking forward to his coming. In your name, Jesus, amen. So I will do the table. And um, well, I'm just going to reread this. And then we can, we can have the, the ushers come up um, and do that. I was just going to sort of reread this for what Paul said. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Right? This is my body, which is given for you. Saints, for little old you and me. Right? Not for the queen. Right? Not for the president. It was given for you and me. When, when Paul talked to the Corinthians people in Corinthians, um, you read what they used to be. You wouldn't want to and them anywhere near you where they used to be. Well, if you, if you look at their lifestyle beforehand. And then he said, in the same way he took the cup of wine after the, cu after the supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. Let me just say one thing about the cup, saints. When they came to the Passover meal and Jesus made it to the Lord's Supper, they were, by the time they had the Passover meal, there were four cups that you drank. And it was after the meal, it was the third cup, most Bible historians will say, when he raised the cup, because you know what that cup was? It was the cup of redemption. He said, this is, and what did he say about it? This cup is the new covenant. The new cup of redemption between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat and drink the bread and drink this cup, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen? Amen, saints. Let's partake in his son. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.